Hi everyone, and welcome to another episode of Engineering Managers in the Wild. My name is Alberto, and in this podcast, I'm going to chat with other managers, friends, colleagues, people from my network about the world of engineering management as it happens in real teams, in real life, in small and big companies. What do EMs really do? What do they think about? Why is their job important? Let's find out together. Who do we have here today? Marco, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me here. Who is Marco? Marco, um, a former colleague of mine. We worked at the same startup at some point a few years ago. And in a way or another, we ended up being EMs a few years apart, maybe. Yeah, more or yeah. less. And uh, we both started being EMs at the same company. And then we have been in touch uh, ever since, in a way or another, again. And uh, recently, we've been talking about engineering management and the different sides of the of the job. So that's why I'm very happy to have him on the, on the show so we can discuss a few interesting things about his experience. So Marco, would you like to tell us a few things about you, who you are, where you're working, how your experience of being an EM is? Yeah, uh, thanks Alberto. Um, really nice to be here and uh, thanks for having me here today. Yeah, sure. Um, as you correctly mentioned, we have been working together in the same startup. Uh, and uh, my experience uh, uh, dates back uh, to probably 2010, something like that, when I started doing uh, a bit of freelancing, uh, you know, the, the kid uh, in the block that uh, builds websites. And uh, then uh, um, I moved uh, into a big company, uh, IBM, uh, that uh, probably is not that cool anymore in uh, <laughs> between uh, the, the engineers, but uh, it was a very, very good experience abroad uh, where I was doing a full stack engineering and uh, yeah eventually we met uh, in uh, in the startup in uh, in milan and uh, um, in uh, in the startup uh, i've been doing everything uh, you can imagine uh, from uh, coding to no coding mm -hmm. and uh, eventually turned it into the em role and uh, after six years in uh, uh, in Empathica, this, uh, this startup, I left the company and uh, I'm now part of Spendesk, a fintech company based in Paris with other um, offices around Europe. And I'm doing EM as well in here. Okay, cool. And uh, what are we talking about today? One of the things uh, that uh, I think is very curious about uh, the role of EM is uh, how different that can be depending on uh, uh, the, the company you're you're joining, you're part of, and uh, uh, definitely uh, it was different to be an EM in uh, Empatica, so a startup mm -hmm. environment. Uh, but also, it's very different uh, being an EM in a very large company like uh, IBM. And mm -hmm. today, part of uh, a scale up, a company that goes from uh, the startup phase uh, up to uh, uh, a lot of growth, uh, where you are. Uh, hiring many, many people when you're trying to expand your uh, engineering department, being an EM is a completely different story. Mm -hmm. So um, one thing that uh, I notice is how, as an EM, you should really adapt to the, the company that you are part of, to the, to the size of the company you are part of. And uh, yeah, all the, the complexities that uh, you have in, in such a role. Nice. It's a very interesting topic. I, I think we both saw the startup stage at different in different phases. I left a bit before you, but more or less like the environment was, I would say, by and large, similar. And then we took completely different directions. You went to a scale up. I went to 
much bigger company, work for Spotify a bit. And I think, as you said, like you need to adapt to the company that you join. And we joined to very different companies in different stages in their life and, and maturity. So we probably went through different experiences. How did you see the EM role changing? So what, what did you observe when you joined the company? So one of the peculiarities of the EM in Empatica, uh, you are anyway in a small company. And uh, within that, uh, as an EM, you still have to do much more of what uh, you would think about uh, is the role of an EM. Because you need to make yourself available because of the, the size of uh, the company, the size of your team. And while you can, uh, of course, uh, put in practice uh, all the, the typical duties of an EM, like uh, thinking about uh, one-on-ones, uh, growth plans, uh, um, salary discussions, and so on, at the same time, uh, you are still looking at uh, a very limited team uh, with uh, just a few people, and uh, um, your impact is uh, given by your ability to go back to the you know software engineer hat and role mm -hmm. and uh, try to solve the problems as mm -hmm. they come when you move into a scale up you still have somehow this type of vibes this type of responsibilities that from time to time can happen but as the company is growing and as the company tries to give itself a shape, a structure, you see how less and less this is required because mm -hmm. you are part of this change. You are part of this structure. And uh, with that, there is definitely a certain level of uncertainty about what's going to happen for you in, in the future, in your role, in uh, what are your duties. But at the same time, you see how this uncertainty takes the direction of uh, a structure a very clear direction mm -hmm. that uh, you, you are taking together with the company. So the role evolves towards a more uh, precise set of responsibilities uh, that uh, are not anymore that blurry as it could have been in, in a startup. That said, the uncertainty is there because you are not yet a well-established company. You are not yet... Uh, uh, a big multinational or however you want to call it company that ha has all the layers of uh, leadership already in place. You are building that. You made me think about how actually the EM role is not really set in stone and well-defined exactly. You need to do A, B, C, D and you are an EM, but it's, I mean, in a way it's true of any role, but especially in the EM case, I feel that you have so many areas where you could have an impact and maybe in a smaller company like we tried in a startup you're still very much hands-on in many cases and you're connected to the technology that more often than not uh, especially if the company if the company has been growing with you you have a lot of experience you, you maybe built the, the software for like the, the team you're leading basically is working on so you have a lot of context you were maybe an engineer there you were still you did some uh developments and you maybe you're still doing it and you were expected to and instead when you move to a company that is growing faster or is already well established then 
you switch more towards management, setting up processes and still being aware of technology, but leaving that kind of day-to-day development to your engineers while you focus on other topics and you support your team, right? So yeah, that's absolutely interesting. And it changes as you as you go on and the company evolves, right? Yeah, absolutely. And you made me think about uh, like clear examples about what you just mentioned mm-hmm. that uh, um, when I was in uh, Empatica, while uh, yes, my role was engineering manager, but at the same time, if a problem occurred, like uh, there was a downtime or the need of fixing something, I was there um, helping my team, supporting them with my engineering work because it was needed, because it was part of my role, because uh, I don't know, it was driving the example as well for, for the team. Now, this is somehow wrong if I were to do such thing, because it means that I become a bottleneck in such mm-hmm. context. I become the, the one that uh, prevents the rest of the team from being independent in tackling problems, in solving uh, issues, in uh, uh, their responsibility of delivering and maintaining good software. Mm -hmm. So it's not something that uh, I don't want to do. It's more like if I do that, I put a risk in my own company, Mm -hmm. in the the company I'm working for, uh, because of the fact that uh, I shouldn't be the bottleneck for the team. And it's not a good use of your time at the end of the day. Like you're doing other things. You you come to realize at some point and accept that you're not the best developer <laughs> in the group anymore. Absolutely. At the end of the day, like you're not doing that full time anymore. And why would you be on the critical path and some feature development when that's not your job? Let other people do it, coach them, support them, and you focus on other problems in other areas where your experience and your influence and impact is needed, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, So what do you think in this kind of transition from a startup to a scale-up, what changed in your role and what did you, how did you need to adapt to to succeed from your point of view? So this might be very personal, but I I didn't really had to adapt. Um, Mm -hmm. It came out quite naturally uh, Mm that the transition from uh, um, a small to a larger company, from a startup to a scale-up company. Um, definitely what I had to introduce in my routines was uh, more collaboration with other EMs and uh, with uh, people with uh, similar or higher responsibilities than mm-hmm. mine. Um, moving from, uh, uh, I'm the only software engineer EM in a company towards uh, I'm collaborating with the other three, four, five engineering managers in the company. That is not really an adaptation. It's more about uh, a natural evolution mm-hmm. of, uh, uh, of my company, of the, of the company that goes from a startup to a scale-up. This is just another piece of the puzzle that gets added up as, uh, as the company grows. And one thing that... Uh, you don't adapt to, but you definitely notice is how you are lacking all that historical knowledge mm-hmm. that you had in the startup phase when, you know, you are there maybe since the beginning or since the very early days and you realize how confident you are in every single bits and pieces mm-hmm. of your architecture, of the 
of the product as well. And now everything is new, so you have to relearn everything. Yeah. And there you will realize how collaborating with the other EMs becomes fundamental. You know, in, um, in Spendesk, I joined in a time when we were already hiring engineering managers from the outside mm -hmm. and not growing engineering managers only from the people who were part of the company already. Yeah. So um, I consider myself very lucky of uh, being able to join in this period of time because I could collaborate with the people who have been around for a very long time who could help me understand better what was the product doing, why some technical decisions were taken with mm -hmm. which assumptions uh, and uh, help me navigate through the complexities of a company that uh, is growing very, very fast, has to do many trade-offs. And uh, uh, me, as the new kid in the block, I really had to uh, learn from scratch. But at the same time, thanks to the fact that we had people coming from other companies, me included, it was very nice to see this variety of point of views, of experiences, of approaches to engineering management that I think eventually helped not only myself, but the entire engineering management team, because we were able to put on the table our experiences, uh, internal, external, and become better also in the work mm -hmm. that uh, uh, we are doing on a day-to-day -day basis. Yeah, it's fun. You made me think about when I switched, just like you from Empatica to, to Spotify, I went through a similar experience where, you know, coming from a startup that you joined maybe in an early stage, and that is still maybe a small team, small environment, you have, first of all, the whole historical context, all the uh, decisions made in the company, how the software was built, you know why and when and how, uh, and maybe you were part of it. And so it feels very familiar, feels very under control. And then you know everyone. So you walk around the office and there are no new faces, but it's like when they come in, they know you. So everyone feels very familiar. And then you are dropped into a new context and environment where you are the latest hire, you don't know anyone, you never worked at a company before, and you need to understand what's happening. And at the beginning, maybe it's a bit weird as a feeling because you're like, okay, who, like, I don't know what to do. Who am I? Even if I'm experienced, I'm lost all of a sudden. How can I be useful to this company? That's the first feeling. And what am I getting paid for? <laughs> Why are they paying me for, for this? <laughs> to be completely disoriented, you know? But then after a while, you you know, it's a very good experience because probably most of your career is like that. <laughs> at the end of the day, it's a good feeling to experience to 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 know and to navigate because then you need to like create relationships and work with other people and understand the context and help others also navigate the same kind of experience because there will be more and more and more hires that will go through the same process and be onboarded to the company and so on and so forth so experiencing that yourself also helps you as a manager and yeah and then uh, in the end then you, you you feel more familiar and you feel you start having an impact and and that's how your career continues yeah, you, you, you made me think about uh, my, my first few months uh, in, uh, in Spandesk when back then uh, my, my manager was like, uh, just talk with people. That was the, the advice that was given to me. And I spent the first uh, two, three months just scheduling coffees, mm -hmm. uh, either virtual or in person with the people all around the company to know what was going on. Uh, to, to understand uh, where we were moving towards, to 
understand the, the backstory, the background uh, of the company, of people. And uh, that was probably one of the best advices I ever had yeah. <laughs> as, a, as a new joiner for, uh, for such a company. And indeed, when you join, you feel like uh, so lost and uh, you also start questioning yourself, uh, how am I going to contribute here? Mm-hmm. Uh, how can I really have an impact not knowing uh, things uh, from start to end? If earlier I could answer every single question that my, my team was having, and if I were lacking some information, that would have been a Slack message away. Now that's not the thing anymore. Now maybe it's uh, dozens of messages of Slack away. It's uh, a deep search into Notion for understanding from the documentation what were the decisions. Or maybe it's even uh, trying to schedule a chat with a C-level to better understand the, the goal and the strategy. And as you may guess, scheduling a, a chat with a C-level can take a few weeks due to their mm-hmm. uh, agenda being full. So all of a sudden, you don't have anymore the quick answers that you used to have. But somehow, this is fine because you are not anymore one person in a small company that has to handle everything. You are one person in a bigger company with many other people like you doing the same type of job that are sharing responsibilities. It's not everything on your shoulder. And you can take your fair share of those doing them well. So you don't need to know everything. Eventually, you will learn a lot. Eventually, you will feel more confident about... uh, the context uh, you are working in from a product and technical point of view, for sure. But uh, if you are not anymore the person that knows everything, that's fine. That's just part of the game. Mm -hmm. And if you can embrace that, I think you also make a way better job. Absolutely. You made me think immediately, that's the same kind of experience I had and something that as you grow as a manager, people tell you usually, but until you experience it, maybe it doesn't click initially that that kind of feeling that you need to know everything, you need to the company, you need to be hands-on, you need to know the software, exactly how it works, is actually holding you back as a manager because you would be pulled into many details and conversations that, I mean, if you want to do that, if you want to have that kind of profile as a manager, if you want to take on that role of being still maybe an individual contributor or being very hands-on and technical in a specific domain, that's fine. But it shouldn't be like a requirement. There are so many other different things you could do. And if you don't explore them because you spend most of your time as the company technical repo <laughs> yeah, as a human being or being pulled into all those things and being the stack overflow for, for others, then you wouldn't explore other areas of your job or your career and you wouldn't maybe go out and talk to people, as you were saying, and expand your network and know other parts of the company and set up processes and spend more time coaching people, for instance, just random things like pop to mind. So, you know, while initially it can be scary as you grow, it also is very liberating in a way when you accept it. And one one more note that made me smile is when you were saying like scheduling calls with people and talking with others. I feel that that my same experience, I remember my first manager at Spotify, uh, when I joined, I asked for advice, like, what, what should I do to grow in the company? Or what would you recommend? And he said, like, you know, for the first couple of weeks, just sit by the coffee machine and talk to every single person that comes by. <laughs> I was like, okay, so <laughs> you're basically paying me to hang out with others. And like, I'm this fun new guy that stands by the coffee machine and, <laughs> and like 
takes time away from people. That's how I felt. It's a joke, but I did it. And I feel that the initial network that I built through those initial weeks was still one of the best tools that I had during my career at Spotify because I could then reach out, get the contacts from them. It created this kind of safety net in a way that then I kept expanding that really helped. So maybe I think that that was also one of my first learning, like the moment uh, you become a manager of managers, first advice, <laughs> go and talk to people, have coffee to them, with them and, uh, and build a network. Absolutely, absolutely. And you also realize how this is not helpful for yourself only. It, it's also also very helpful for, uh, for your team. You know, by talking with, uh, with other people, you can also learn better about other opportunities that uh, you can forward to the people that you are managing. As part of uh, I am responsibility, you're not only thinking about uh, making sure that your team delivers what needs to be delivered or stuff like that. You are also thinking about uh, how am I going to let this person grow? Which kind of uh, challenges can I offer to this person to, to become a better engineer? And you know, sometimes uh, uh, those opportunities come up just by talking with someone uh, around the office, whether that is a uh, physical or virtual, mm -hmm. to be honest. And thanks to this kind of network, you can use your, I would say, expertise to get that, that thing that is, oh, Yes, that, that is something that can help my team member to succeed in what they are trying to achieve, to, to grow to the next step in, uh, in their career. I'm thinking about uh, cross-team initiatives, but also the, the possibilities of you know, moving from one team to another, mm -hmm. uh, which uh, may sound counterintuitive from a manager point of view, because you say I'm letting someone in my team that might be very capable. I, I might let them go to another squad, another team. But maybe that's the right thing to do. And having this network of people that will be able to share with you what they're working on and what are actually the, the challenges as well, it's really opening many, many doors, more than just thinking about your team only as mm -hmm. an isolated entity. And one more thing, a lot of innovation happens around a coffee machine. Yeah. Sorry for the, the people who don't uh, drink coffee. I mean, you can replace coffee with any type of drink, <laughs> even water if you like. But uh, really the power of uh, random chats around the office. And here I'm also talking about virtual offices. They are very, very valuable. They bring in uh, some very clever ideas that you as an engineering manager should really try to implement and leverage for your team, your company, and sometimes even yourself. Yeah, absolutely. And like you said, doesn't really change that much if you are in office or virtual. Like, of course, in the office, you just bump into people walking around and it happens more naturally. But then in a virtual environment, you need to be a bit more intentional, maybe. Like, remember to set up calls with people, uh, get to know new joiners and so on and so forth. So schedule some time in your calendar. But then at the end of the day, you can still connect and, and have a good chat. And... Um, how long have you been at uh, Spendesk now? So we are very close to the to the year. Uh, okay. In a, in a month time, it will be one year uh, that mm -hmm. uh, that I joined the company. I asked because you know, like you mentioned, a an environment that moves very fast, the company that scales quickly. Maybe you have some stories of examples of something that has changed or something interesting in this year. <laughs> Since I joined, uh, from um, a purely organizational point of view, we 
drastically increased the number of uh, people in the company and in the engineering department. As a consequence, we also had to hire directors. We also had to spawn new teams with new responsibilities, with new business streams. Myself, I moved from having only one team of five people to, to manage up to 15 people overall to manage, which is a very important change in terms of how much time you have to dedicate to your team, to the people, and to the project. What you see is how what was okay at the beginning doesn't work anymore. If the time I could dedicate one year ago to my team was more than enough to cover people's needs and project needs, now is not the case anymore. So I am already in the process of thinking about how am I going to structure my teams so that I can provide them with the right level of support. So from a hiring point of view, we are looking at finding someone who can be a team lead to whom I can delegate some of the responsibilities that I already have. But it also means that I should care about who do I want to grow in the team in that role and moreover who wants to take that role these kind of things are really things um, that happen on a day-to-day basis mm-hmm. you keep on thinking how is your team evolving how do i foresee the next three months to be the next six months to be and the forecast keeps on changing if your vision over a quarter can be quite well defined to be honest when you go beyond that, you start seeing blurry things. And there is where you have to put your experience in practice, taking some uh, safe bets sometime. Uh, some other times your bets will be terrible ones, of course, but that's part of the game. Uh, you know that uh, in the long run, you don't have uh, a clear vision over what's going to happen. But what you can do in the short term is take the, the best decision, looking forward how you can forecast things to be. So I was mentioning that uh, I have pretty much 15 people that uh, I'm managing at the moment. Not all of them are part of the same uh, team, but one of the teams that I'm managing, it's quite big. It's becoming uh, challenging to have all of them in the same team. Maybe I should uh, start uh, thinking about how to reorganize it in a way that uh, one part of the team is focused on this certain business, the other part is focusing on another part of the business, because it's not that you are lacking of uh, work to do, but you need to double down on the, the main areas of the entire work that your team is doing. So you start thinking about these things and then maybe you realize, okay, but does it make sense to do it now? Do we have to hold on a bit? Do we have to maybe wait for other inputs uh, from um, other levels of the business? So as a manager, you start trying to gather this information from uh, all the different stakeholders, trying to understand where is that we are moving towards. Mm -hmm. And maybe you realize, okay, it makes sense to split the team now because uh, I see that uh, in a very short period of time, this is going to happen and this is going to happen. Or on the flip side, it can be, wait a second, there is too much uncertainty. It doesn't make any sense to take any decision right now 
to take any drastic decision because splitting a team is a drastic decision because we don't know everything yet. And taking a decision now will be counterproductive. It will end up in creating teams that don't work well together. So in that case, you hold on, you wait for more information to come, and eventually you take your decision. This is to say that this type of adaptation of your thinking and work happens every single day, happens at multiple levels, on your team, but also on the entire engineering department. Because once again, let's not forget that we're talking about a scale-up company. As a scale-up, you are growing a lot and fast. And you, you as a manager have to navigate this uncertainty. And that's one of the things like to, to connect to something that we discussed before. As soon as you forget a little bit about maybe coding and spending times like hands-on in your code base, you actually free up some of your time to Think about these more strategic things, process-related things in this environment that keeps changing where you cannot have all the answers. How can you provide some clarity to your team, maybe a bit longer term and maybe some taking some risks and making some calls and reassessing, readapting, changing things and making sure that you te your team feels supported in navigating all the changes that the company is going through because there will be many changes. So how do you manage these changes? And how do you make sure that your team keeps being successful and happy and with good team dynamics and performing well? It's something that needs your support all the time. Uh, you cannot assume that you just set some parameters and it will work forever and ever. <laughs> it's not happening in big companies uh, when things might be a bit more stable. It's not happening, of course, in smaller places that are scaling fast. So how do you adapt? How do, do you rethink things? How do you scale yourself? Also, you mentioned as a manager, how, how do you delegate? How do you hire others to help you? How do you go through the phases where you, you're just a mix of people having fun, maybe in a startup, trying things, and then you structure yourself in a specific way? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. In this context, uh, if I can give uh, maybe a suggestion to whoever is listening to us uh, today, don't be scared about uh, the fact that things are changing, but keep on questioning yourself. This is probably the, the best uh, advice uh, I, can, I can give. Keep on, keep on questioning if the, the things that uh, you're doing are the right things to do for the moment you are living. Because what was uh, right yesterday doesn't necessarily mean it's right tomorrow. Absolutely. That's a very important skill to have, I guess, in life also. Reminds me like <laughs> of a recent book that I that I love by Adam Grant, Think Again, where the whole point is to reassess, reevaluate, run experiments, be like a scientist, like collect data, run experiments, try to understand what changes. If there is new knowledge that is unlocked at some point, what does it mean for yourself or your team? And how can you adapt to the new situation and how can you reuse the new knowledge? And that really makes you very effective and unlocks things for you and, and your team and your company. And there are pl plenty of examples in the book and in, in the business where companies and people haven't been able to really adapt. And they thought that wor the world would be like this forever. And then at some point they failed because the world keeps on spinning and you need to spin with it basically. So the approach that I like to have, and I've seen in a lot of other managers, is not that, you know, you come maybe from a big company like Take my example, or you've been at Spotify, you learned the Spotify model, just go to another company, copy paste, and it will work. 
wrong. Nah, that's exactly the biggest mistake you can do. Yes, that's some experience you have in your backpack, but you go to a new place that has, has a different context, different, it's a different reality, different background, different tools, and you just introduce something that will be artificial to them and it will feel like a useless structure maybe, and it will not work in the end. So how can you actually instead use that experience to observe, listen, understand the new context, and then introduce some changes when there is a specific need and there is a reason for, for that. And that is not only for the environment and the company, it's also for the, the manager themselves. Think about uh, when you as a manager, you're trying to grow someone else in the management uh, role. One of the, the most important thing that uh, that person needs to think about is, I don't have to copy what my manager is doing. I might take inspiration. I might uh, uh, pick some of the best practices, but eventually I should be the manager that uh, I am, not that someone else is. Otherwise, you really look fake. So yes, in terms of uh, how management works uh, in a certain company and bringing it into another one, definitely that's something that you cannot do like a real copy-paste. But the same applied to the very single person. Be the manager that you are, not that someone else is. Your direct reports will notice it straight away if you are not real, if you are just putting a mask in front of you. Which also means that, of course, you will work better with some type of people rather than others. That's, you know, life uh, yeah. one-on-one. <laughs> That's okay. Yeah, exactly. You made me think about exactly about that. So at some point you get your style or multiple styles. You will know how to uh, switch between them. But at the end of the day, you will click with some people more than with others and work better in some environments than in others. And that's okay. And that's also how by maybe leveraging some of the things you mentioned before, for instance, finding opportunities for people in your team to work elsewhere, maybe connecting with others who have different perspectives, different experiences, you actually create a more full rounded profile through other people and other connections and other teams. So again, not assuming, just like in the engineering, software engineering case, that you are supposed to know everything, also on the management side, to be able to navigate every single possible situation, but knowing where you fit a bit better and then taking advantage of the environment you know around you to fill up the gaps, basically. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And, um, you know, one of the, a um, uh, bit of a digression here, uh, one of the things that I always like to, to compare um, management with is uh, the football referee. Uh, role. I'm a football referee and I use these examples a lot, mm -hmm. but it's really very uh, similar uh, situation when you are uh, there in the middle of, uh, of the game and uh, one weekend, maybe you are refereeing a, a couple of uh, teams that are super nice. They don't cause you any trouble. You go ahead with that. And uh, yeah, end of the game, nobody remembers you because uh, it was a, a very easy one. But some other times uh, it becomes more complex and uh, it becomes complex as, uh, as the match goes uh, because of uh, the people in one specific team might be very, you know, active, mm -hmm. if you want to call it that way. You can handle that anyway. They are two completely different situations. Uh, they are uh, two completely different matches. But thanks to your experience, you can navigate both situations, no problem. And the same you can do in a work environment depending on the people that you have in front of you, 
you can no problem handle certain scenarios just by adapting to, to that. But what really works is doing it naturally. Mm-hmm. Like you have built your natural style that adapts to the context without copying something from someone else. So is your management style that of a football referee? Or... <laughs> uh, th- thank God I don't use uh, yellow or red cards uh, in the office, but uh, it, helped. it helped a lot in my experience, if I, if I have to be honest, at least uh, for what regards the, the relationship uh, with people and with uh, not only football players, but also with uh, managers, uh, football managers. Yeah, and... Absolutely. Like experience from outside of your day-to-day job counts. Absolutely. Is there anything else we should talk about that we haven't mentioned yet? So um, we started by talking about uh, the fact that uh, I'm now in a scale-up company that uh, is growing a lot and so on. And one of the most interesting things uh, that you have here is the fact that you are growing together with the company. And I would say this is probably one of the most interesting times for being IEM. Because, yes, you have to navigate with uncertainty. Yes, you don't know exactly what's going to happen in the long run. But at the same time, the amount of learnings that you get from uh, this moment in time of the company is unbearable. And I'm mentioning this because sometimes it feels like uh, there is just too much. There, I think it's very important to keep on thinking You can't do everything, but at the same time, you can learn a lot. If uh, you are an engineer manager who wants to step up in your career and uh, wants to quickly learn from uh, multiple sources, I really think that uh, a scale-up company is uh, uh, one of the best places where, uh, where you can be because you still have a lot of freedom over what you can do you still see a lot of impact for uh, what uh, you're doing and you're learning how it is to build up uh, an engineering department as it goes. This is though uh, something that I found uh, interesting for me when I decided to, to join Spendesk. Might not be the, the best for, uh, for every single person out there uh, who's in the role, but if I were to give a suggestion to, <laughs> to people out there, to engineering managers who want to quickly learn the role that is probably one of the best uh, environment where to to get that experience that's a good one i think like even if you are in a more maybe stable company in a way in a more mature stage finding opportunities for yourself to shake things up maybe and change environment internally and uh, try new things new domains new skills new areas of the company is something you should keep doing if you want to keep learning that's my advice as well not that anyone is forcing you to do that, but it's a good opportunity like to, again, feel like a beginner all over again and learn new things. One thing you made me think of, though, is, and I'm curious about your take, because, you know, we keep saying change is the only constant, but I guess especially in a smaller company scale up where things move very fast, change can be a lot. When is that too much? When, <laughs> when does it become too much to really be able to handle and not freak out physically? And what is your role as an engineering manager, maybe in that kind of scenario? This may sound like a very personal answer because... I should be. Um, <laughs> <laughs> That's why I invited you and not another person. <laughs> um, thank you for that. No, but, uh, but um, I think 
changes too much when it's too much for you. There is a time for every person in a certain company. The Marco of five years ago was right in a startup, was not right in a multinational company. Marco in 10 years won't be any more good probably for a scale-up. I don't know. I'm just guessing. This to say that uh, the amount of change that you can take on yourself really depends on where you are in your career and what is that you are looking for in the job that you are doing. This is from a personal point of view. As a person contributing to a project, uh, contributing to a company uh, with, uh, with different goals. From a company point of view, I may say change for the sake of changing doesn't help anybody. Changing a lot because uh, uh, the company needs to iterate, to pivot a lot. Well, that makes sense, of course. Uh, not changing so frequently because the company has to take a very straightforward approach to their products. Uh, because of the industry they are in. Uh, giving you an example, Empatica within the healthcare, some of the things couldn't change so quickly because of uh, everything related to the healthcare industry. Yeah. Others could change very fast, for instance. So in such situations, not being able to change so, uh, so fast, it's also good because of the type of the product that yeah. you are making. Now, you can be the type of person that enjoys the most uh, the first case when you are changing a lot because uh, you are comfortable in such an environment. Maybe you are the type of person that prefers uh, the more uh, straightforward uh, approach. It really depends on where you are at the moment in your career. Mm -hmm. If your company keeps on changing from one type of uh, approach to another, once again, it's a lot about uh, yourself, what you like and where you work the best. Although, let's not forget that uh, you are an engineer manager. So more than others, you are the one who needs to adapt and uh, not let your team being uh, taken down by the lack of changes or the excessive amount of changes. You know, just by talking with your team, what is the best setup for them? And you will probably have to make sure that they have, at least in the team, the right setup that works for them well. I like the personal approach to this. And you're, you're right. Like at the end of the day, it's all about you, the stage you're in, in life, professional or personal also. And nothing prevents you from changing yourself, changing companies, environments. Like at some point, doesn't work for you anymore. That's fine. Move on. Yeah, if you can change with the company and the company changes in the direction that you want to, to take, absolutely. Why not? Yeah. I mean, honestly, it's important that you are part of something that you believe in and you're happy for. Yeah. doesn't help anybody to stay in a company that has a pace, that has a structure that doesn't reflect your vision, your what you like. Yeah. And also, like you were mentioning, like as an engineering manager, you're you're uniquely positioned like to connect the dots at some point. Uh, so if change is too fast or too slow, you are the one who, in many cases, who can bring up the feedback from your team and manage up and tell people around you, hey, look, there's too much change. What can we do about it? It's too much for my team. It's too much for me. 
or just a little, or there's a change for change's sake. And we're just trying to implement the latest framework just because it's cool and not, not because it's useful. <laughs> Are we sure it is the right move? And maybe it is, maybe it's not, but then the answer you get to that feedback is also important for you to bring back to your team and provide clarity. And, and in general, what I feel that in many cases, and then maybe you can confirm with your experience, but what I have gone through is change can be scary when you don't understand why things are changing. And instead, if at least you have some clarity around it and you understand, okay, things are moving fast, but this is what we're trying to accomplish. There's a reason behind it. Then people in general are professional, are understanding and can deal with that. The scary part is, oh my God, things are changing and I don't know why, and they might be changing again for no reason at all. Let me run away from this, <laughs> right? Yeah, absolutely. And th these are all the same questions and answers you should uh, give to your team because uh, they need to be aware of uh, the uncertainty. They need to be aware of uh, the changes or the lack of changes. That is uh, what uh, you, you can do. Make them understand why things are happening and what they can expect with that whatever level of uh, certainty or uncertainty. Give your team the, the right uh, understanding of all of this because with that, they will take the right decisions, the right decision about the work they do on a day-to-day -day job. And you will also find out that they will give a very good feedback as well about how to move forward with the, some of the topics that might be your responsibilities. And maybe that's also one of the ways you can keep a healthy culture as things move very fast because you keep the conversation going, you keep transparency and people feel that they are part of it. They are not just observers as change happens, but they are contributing to it. You hit a very, very important point. One of the big risks of uh, uh, such a fast growing company is that they, you reach a point where the culture that used to be there uh, at the beginning just goes away where you feel like uh, you don't have any more this uh, possibility of uh, sharing your ideas, of uh, providing uh, feedback to, to others, of have your say towards what to do. And the company really needs to, to work to make sure this doesn't happen. I mean, I'm biased, of course, <laughs> but uh, I, I have to say that at least in, in Spendesk, I, I don't see this happening. We are really investing time and resources to make sure everybody's heard, even if we are now 20, 50 times more than when we started. Fostering these, uh, this culture really produces better products as well. Absolutely agree. I think that's a very positive note, maybe, on which we can end the conversation today. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. We, we discussed about many things and uh, it's good to, to finish up with a positive note. Yeah, <laughs> not that there were like negative ones, but um, thank you for uh, being here with us today. I hope that we will have a couple of listeners <laughs> to share your experience. <laughs> and uh, yeah, good luck with your experience at Spendesk and in other companies. I feel that you managed to see many things very, very quickly because of the nature of the companies you've been working with. And maybe in the future, you can come back and tell us more stuff that you will have experienced in the meantime and realize, oh, what I shared in that episode was actually so wrong. And that's exactly how you <laughs> grow as a manager. I would love uh, to, to do that. Um, thanks for having me here today. It has been a pleasure talking with you. And uh, thank you for the people who is listening. Um, I really hope that... Uh, 
there won't be drastic changes in the culture department, but I'm expecting important changes in the structural side of things. That's for sure. And you will be part of it and everything will be great because of that. <laughs> Thank you, Marco. <laughs> Thank you, Albert. Have a good Bye. one. Ciao. Bye-bye.